0: Welcome to the Black Freelance Podcast,
1: your home base for community, content, and strategy that will help you take control of your lifestyle design and build freedom into your professional career. Hi, and welcome to episode two of the Black Freelance Podcast. I'm Megan and I keep things running around here at Black Freelance. Today, I'm talking with one of my Twitter buddies from the early days, Yasmin Yonis. We cover a lot in this episode, and that's from Yasmin's education in journalism and journey through seminary to working in the nonprofit world, depression and anxiety, to her background coming from a Black immigrant Muslim refugee family. Yasmeen's story is really unique in the freelance world and and definitely worth sitting down with, especially if you're interested in freelancing as a tool of life improvement. So I'm not going to keep you waiting. Here is the conversation with Yasmeen. Yasmeen, how are you doing? I'm good, Megan. How are you? I'm fine. It's a little bit different since the last time we spoke. A lot has happened in the world. Um, so business is good and everything, but, um, figuring things out one day at a time, just for everybody out there, we are recording this at the time where coronavirus is just starting to pick up specifically in the U S. So a lot of adjustments are going on right now. Um, so what's, what's, how's everything going with you?
2: Um, it's a wild, wild time. I think that, um, folks are finally realizing, uh, what's really happening not just outside our uh, borders but that it's really here in the U.S. and so it's affecting my work and it's affecting my life and it's really amazing how things can change in just a split second Um, and so I'm just
1: trying to take all that in. Yeah, same. Definitely the same. So let's let's get started with just letting everybody know a little bit about you and about your business and what what your freelance life looks like.
2: Yeah, but, I laugh whenever you say my business because I really need to think about myself as like a business owner. Yeah, <laughs> so that's what I am. I'm a i call myself a consultant, a freelancer, but it is a business. I am a. I always start with I'm a movement chaplain, mm-hmm. um, which means that I am a chaplain for activists and organizers and community members who are doing the movement work that we really need mm-hmm. um, in our community. Uh, before, I was a chaplain for folks coming out of prison and jails. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's really where my heart is. And I um, to make my living, I am a network consultant which really just means I work with networks of people who care about social change mm-hmm. and I facilitate and coach and support folks in organizing um, and trying to shift systems. Um, and so that's and all my work is essentially
1: almost all my work is online on zoom. Okay. So what, what kind of entities are you working with? Are you working with individuals, organizations? How does that work?
2: Yeah. So I'm working with collectives of people who are either funded by foundations or self-funded um, or maybe not even funded at all. Um, and they're all, whether they're small or very large, so it's, it may be a group of like 12 folks or it might be hundreds. Mm. Uh, they're all coming together because they care about one thing, whether it's like a culture of health, whether they care about uh, social movements, whether they care about Housing and poverty issues and they want to come together build relationships figure out. How can we? Uh, learn and do projects and experiment and organize together and a lot of times when we think about organizing we're thinking about knocking on doors um, right. talking To our neighbors, which is really important part in basic 101 organizing uh, but the kind of networks that I'm talking about span both as small as counties, but as large as the U.S. and the globe. So I'm working with people in San Francisco. I'm located right outside Washington, D.C., working with people in Texas and Florida, Minnesota. And every day we're talking and building
1: together. Gotcha. Okay. And how long have you been doing it so far as far as um, from a freelance perspective?
2: So I graduated seminary. I started my last year of seminary in 2017. 2018 and okay. so almost two years now that I've been doing it full-time I graduated in May 2019 Um, so almost a year ago. I started full-time Love it. it. Was scary right to like kind of jump in like yeah, <laughs> they have funding from grad school when I first initially started I had funding from grad school to um Support me. Um, and so the work that I was doing was just extra money, which was great in a kind of a low-key way um low risk way of starting the work and seeing if it was viable. Mm-hmm. And when I realized it was and that the risk of going back into employment was higher than going into <laughs> freelance full-time. I decided to go full-time into freelance.
1: Okay. We're we're going to have to come back to what you mean by that risk because you, you, know, you know what I think on that. We really want to talk about that. So like how many hours, what does your life look like right now? How many hours are you working per week?
2: So this is the best part for me. When I worked in nonprofits, I was working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, weekends, evenings, and was completely burned out. And that's the reason I decided to go into freelancing. I now work usually average about 20 hours a week.
1: That's a huge difference.
2: Huge difference. I work 20 hours a week and make at least double, if not triple, what I was making.
1: And can I say this is like, and I, I talk about this online because what, what you just said, like the numbers were was like one of my big freelance goals was making, you know, twice as much money as I was making in my previous job and while doing half the work. And I feel like that goal is like so important for people as opposed to say, oh, I'm going to be like a six figure freelancer, or a seven figure freelancer, especially if you're trying to work in a field where you have experience or education, uh, because it's, 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 easier to translate as opposed to like a dollar goal and you're working within the reality of where, of, of of your field.
2: Yeah. And the reason, and I wanted to make it very clear, the reason, one of my biggest reasons was the, the toll of the racism and just the, you know, the workaholic nature of our culture um, and how abusive it is. Mm -hmm. And also because I'm someone who lives with a disability Mm -hmm. um, and I struggle with depression and anxiety and other issues. And I was like, I can't have this job kill me, um, whether slowly or quickly. And so that for me was a huge motivator for the reasoning um, of of the reason for me to go into freelance.
1: So how, how quickly did you notice a difference from the change from before to you know, basically designing your lifestyle. About how long do you think that transition took from, to get from there to where you are now?
2: So I had grad school as a, kind of a bridge, um, yeah. and that allowed me to think deeply about what kind of life did I want to live. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it, it's it's taken me a few years, about three four years, mm-hmm. um, to make that to make that switch. It wasn't overnight. Um, but I was on a deeply healing journey and I was, you know, I had a therapist I had a chaplain, a psychiatrist. I was changing my lifestyle and realizing bit by bit, what did I need to be well and to be whole? And I knew that I didn't want a lifetime of waiting for Fridays yeah. and just Sunday nights. I didn't want to yeah. lose life on the evenings and the weekends. Um, I didn't want to feel guilty constantly and have work hanging over my head. Um, I wanted. Um, a life with—I wanted a healthy, bountiful, joyful life with nourishing work weaved in. I didn't want work-life balance because work is part of life. I wanted life, mm-hmm. um, I want to be living it constantly and to be well.
1: And I, I feel like what you just mentioned is so important because I talk to a lot of freelancers who have gotten into this work, and they're stre- they're more stressed out than they were when they were employed, which is like very very likely if you don't go into it with intention. Um, You know, if you're stepping into freelancing or any business and you don't have an idea of the kind of life you want to build and you aren't purposely setting, you know, making your business decisions and your freelancing decisions based on where you want to end up, it's really easy to end up like in, in the same place, if not worse, just because you're still working with people, you're still doing work. Um, I know I've seen a lot of people end up, you know, burned out in freelancing and going back to employment, which isn't where they wanted to end up, but it's just because they weren't intentional from the beginning.
2: Yeah. I think you need to have something more that is larger than the money that is yeah. you. Otherwise you'll just get lost in the sauce, as they say. Um, oh, easily. And, and, and often when we think about, we leave employment, but employment does not leave us. Yes. And <laughs> probably before the womb, like we talk about generation, intergenerational trauma. You talk about this, Megan, but about like how your parents and their parents, and we can't talk, we can't talk about this without talking about race and class and all these cultural expectations also. But I, I realized that, you know, just because I didn't have a boss and I was my own boss, it didn't mean that I was stepping outside of kind of this capitalistic uh, hierarchy of like, you know, why are you being lazy and you have to work nine right. to five and this is work hours and this is work days. And what does it look like to work? I realized that honestly, I want to work between the hours of 11 and three. I mm-hmm. will be flexible if needed. Sometimes it's nine and two or it just depends on what the need is that I realized that I want to have Fridays off. I'm Muslim. I want to be able to go to Friday prayer. Right. Um, I want to have a three day weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now it's really four days for the most part. Um, I realized that actually I can squeeze my work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then if there's other things that have to happen Monday, Friday, I can do that. Each week is different, but um, I really had to practice, and it was a process. It's taken years to process of like stepping away from. There is only one way to be uh, to be a
1: worker and
2: to work well, and it's been it's been really interesting to see how much of that's internalized.
1: It is. I like. I know. I started making that change probably when I was still employed, um, stepping up, stepping out of the idea of feeling guilty for being lazy or feeling that I always needed to be productive and you know having that really tied to my identity. So by by the time I got out into freelancing, I think I'd I'd handled a lot of it, but not all of it, because mm-hmm. for years I still I still felt like you know, there was something wrong with me taking a day off. And not that I wasn't doing it because I was doing it, but I didn't feel good about it, which you should. I mean, you should be able to enjoy the fact that I'm not working, you know, even five days a week, or there's nothing wrong with me waking up and saying, you know what, I'm a little tired. I don't want to work today. You know, that should be a good thing and something you should be able to enjoy, especially if you stepped out on your own. And it can, it's, it, you carry over so much from employment. And like you said, specifically from the perspective of race, because I know like looking back, there was so much that I was doing to, you know, meet a certain standard and meet what I felt I needed to be as a black woman in a certain field and being able to step back from that took a long time.
2: It's, you know, it's, it's, I think for a lot of us, you know, you might have been the good student or the good um, child, daughter, son, or um, there's all these ideas you may or may not have been, but there's all these ideas of the social lives of who we are. And for me, I realized that I had gone into freelance because I, if I'm in a depressive episode, it doesn't like call you up and tell you, Hey, I'm on my way. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you, (laughs) but there's some days that like, I just can't concentrate and work. Right. Um, And what does my body need and what do I need in there? And then you're really dealing with hundreds of years of like this ideas of like anti-Black ideas of like Black people being lazy and Mm -hmm. having to work even if you're sick and, um, not having that reprieve. And there's, there's, there's this, uh, group on Instagram called nap ministry that really talks about black people and rest. Um, and I want oh. to shout out, um, they've been very helpful f- for me to learn how to let go. And what do we do? We're seeing, and I know we're going to talk about the coronavirus epidemic or mm-hmm. pandemic, but I hear people talking about like, you know, this is a time to get, you know, all those passion projects, yeah. all, that, all that, and I'm like, no. And then the chaplain in me says, no, no. Said, this is the time to grieve, yeah. um, this is the time to connect. This is the time to rest. This is the time to meet your neighbors um, and think about really, really like what is happening and to allow our, Sometimes it feels like we're not doing anything, but that allows our bodies to do the work and our spirits to do the work of, of acknowledging what is happening.
1: Well, and you have to make space for that because I look, I look back. I want. Was it last week? Um, because I'm in healthcare, so we we're always a little bit ahead of stuff on when this kind of thing happens. And I just had like a massive, massive conference get canceled. And last week it was kind of like, oh, this could get pretty bad. It would be, you know, bad if all the doctors and nurses went back to the hospitals and somebody actually had coronavirus and took it back. But between last week and today, which is Monday, the 16th, I'm in a completely different place just even emotionally and internally where last week it felt like, you know, business as usual right now, today, I basically have done, I've been taking a very light day. Uh, Monday is when I usually do some really heavy marketing and I've kind of dialed that down because I can tell that I need space. Like I don't need to try to, I, I am doing more because like now is the kind of time I should say over time. I am planning to do more, but I'm giving myself a couple of days to kind of just adjust because there's a lot going on. I am stressed out, even though my life really hasn't been changed a lot, which we, we probably need to talk about that and really quickly. But I still need to take that time, and I, I feel like it's like what you said: like we don't have to use every single free moment to be productive. We just don't.
2: No, and productivity is, you know, it's a white supremacist cultural mm-hmm. trait. It's about and especially extracting as much productivity out of black right. and a human beings and that being our value. But we also acknowledging that we live in a world of severe precarity and people are, there are people who are, you know, their livelihoods and their family safety is being wiped out because of yeah. everything coming to a standstill. And so I think that this is why I wanted us to keep this appointment today is um, how do we, we as especially as black folks reflect on how do we keep ourselves safe yes and how do we prepare um, um, for the future that's already here
1: yeah because things are this is it's not kind of like i come from the land of hurricanes so you know where you have to prep and then there's like a big disaster and then you figure out what's going on that's mm-hmm. not how this is going to unfold Um it's going to get a lot worse and the, you know the, the the impact is going to be long term so It's, you know, it's, this is not, you know, just a few days and everything goes back to normal. Like I really, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but I I think our normal is going to look really different after this.
2: Yeah, I think so too.
1: Yeah. So this is, this is, um, what do you, just based on what's happened, because I know for me, because my job is intentionally very remote. I knew that when when I built when I built out my freelance business that I wanted to be uh, location independent, so that not just so I could you know it cool It's like yeah shoot I can you know I can travel work from anywhere and yada yada, but I also wanted to um, be able to handle something like this that came about so that I wasn't stuck with the decisions of an employer um, or even a freelance client. Uh, when something like this did happen, because I remember, um, you know, I've been through quite a few hurricanes and I was I was very fortunate because I've always worked with companies that were just like, you know what, do what you got to do, but you're still waiting on someone to give you the space mm-hmm. to protect your family, to protect yourself, to prepare. Um, I remember after one particularly bad one down here in South Florida, Driving 13 miles across territory that's been impacted by a hurricane and you never know where you're going to run across a live wire You don't know what's going on with the traffic lights. Actually you do. There's four-way stops everywhere even on major intersections and I I contrast that with now where my day-to-day life has only minimally been impacted How and you know we we minced, we talked about this briefly, but I know wh- like what does that look like for you? Like, what is the difference between you know before people really started preparing, you started you know changed your perspective on coronavirus and what what it's doing um, versus now?
2: I well, first I've I've been that person in my family and in my circles that's like they see as the tinfoil hat wearing person. Yep. Um, <laughs> It's coming and our infrastructure and every part of the society, which has been used to oppress black folks and indigenous folks and other people of color and poor folks is really going to affect everyone. Um, and so I'm, I'm not happy that people are real. The reason that people are realizing, but I am grateful that there is some action happening. But for me, my work, almost all of my work is on zoom. It's online. Um, All my collaborations, my trainings that I do and I facilitate, um, almost everything that I do is online. And so I am not worried, thankfully, unlike a lot of people who, you know, outside of their control, what is, uh, it's outside of control what is happening. I've had some in-person facilitation um, contracts be suspended or the, the, the events themselves are canceled. <clears throat> which right. is the right call. But what we're doing is moving those things online, and which this is when my specific skill set of facilitating online large groups. I don't just facilitate small groups, I facilitate, it can be 50, 100 plus on a Zoom call, and folks are learning, getting to know each other, learning new things, collaborating. Um, and so, how do you do what you usually would do in person online? Right. Obviously, I can't transfer, but this is a specific skill set that I have because of my work. And now it's going to be more demand. And, um, but it, it's been a lot of cancellation, cancellations of in-person. And as my work as a chaplain is being heightened, um, I'm moving my community heal circles that I do in D.C. online um, so that folks can still be in community um, and connect and still stay safe. Did I answer your question? I feel like maybe Oh no no
1: no no you completely did. And I I think it it touches on um just a difference because you know, you know I talk about niches all the time and it, you know every niche is different. So, you know, certain downturns in the economy and you know certain when when one industry takes a blow, another industry often is doing more. So, for instance, in in my field, healthcare there is, a, you know, good reason to suspect that there is going to be an uptick in the kind of work that I do because we can't have as many conferences. So there has to be more um, energy put into digital media and that kind of in those conversations. And that's just, you know, on the business side. It doesn't even touch on the fact that the industry itself is now having to do more work, period, because there are more sick people. Um so I I think that that's one of those, it's one of those things that I think is very important for people to think about as they're planning their their freelance business because because everything's different. And, you know, while some of us are having a more difficult time right now and some of the, uh, others of us aren't, and, you know, it all depends on where you're working and, you know, where you're, where, what niche you're focused on.
2: Yeah, I think I, I found it interesting because I essentially, I chose to leave employment, but I also felt like I was kind of pushed out and mm-hmm. that it was unlivable and unsustainable, and I, I, it forced me to reckon with what is a sustainable way of living and making yes. And as much as I love in-person facilitation, and there's nothing quite like it. I also realized that I, because of my own disabilities and my, and then also the kind of life that I want to live, I'm not able to be one of those folks. And I know some of these folks and they do great where they're traveling constantly and they're doing in-person facilitations and they're making really great money. Um, what does it mean? My, I've been thinking like, what does this mean for that? If yeah. they are not able to transfer, um, that set online, um, it, it makes me think about my father, who um, I felt like has always been very wise and ahead of his time. He's always been telling me since I was young, like 12. He's like, "You always have to be constantly aware of um, how your field and fields around you are are evolving, and you need to evolve with them. Otherwise, you'll be left behind." Which, which I don't think you know. I don't agree with the. <laughs> I don't. I, I wish it wasn't like that. But that is right. Makes- right. Um, no, it's, it's constantly fighting, running away from layoffs, constantly trying to evolve away from layoffs has has left for me. He's an engineer with a company, like um, with a telemarketing company or telecommunications company, mm-hmm. and to just to see constantly his need to learn, um, so that he's not pushed out, especially as an older worker, has really left an impression on me.
1: Yeah, and I I think that people get intimidated by that or a lot of people get intimidated by the idea that if you know you're a freelancer and running your freelance business you always have to be ready to pivot and you know pick up a new skill but people have to do that employment too like me personally i felt ai first uh, globalization of healthcare, which used to be a very domestic kind of market, that was coming for my job, and now AI is coming for what I previously did. Mm-hmm. So I honestly can't say I feel any different on the freelance side than I did on the employed side, because there's all you're you're not safe just because a business is taking on some some of the responsibilities for like marketing and like payroll, <laughs> you know, versus yourself. Like you're still facing a lot of the same risks.
2: Yeah, and <clears throat> I think it's really thinking about there there will always be jobs that no matter how advanced the computers are, they won't be able to do. Right. And thinking about what are those jobs? Um, it's really important. And I, what you talk about Megan on Twitter a lot and I appreciate is this idea of really, it's just acknowledging the reality of employment because it's only when you, when you kind of hide from the fact that your job, they could come for your job at any minute. Um, that, freelancing feels extra scary, right. but if we really, and it's, I'm not trying to dismiss the, the risks of freelancing. No, no. When we, but when we acknowledge the risk of employment and then we could, you know, I think it makes freelancing feel more doable.
1: Yeah. More manageable. And it's, it's, I think a lot of us look at it like a, uh, kind of a binary and it's not, I worked you know, employed for a while and I was freelancing on the side for a while and now I'm full-time freelance. And it's one of those things that it's, I think it's important to be able to do both, to be able to work employment independent, work independent of an employer, even if it's only something you have to do for like three months after layoff. Um, I think even just the perspective of thinking, where do I fit in this picture without the protection of a business gives you gives you advantages, even as an employee, because, you know, everyone says now, you know, you're a company of one and your employer is your one, is your one contract. So that's, that's how we basically all should be living now.
2: Yeah. I just think about how glad I am to not be uh, still running after trying to be a writer in the yeah. way. Um, and if you could just pivot that, I just was thinking about how, um, so many folks are st- that the writing area I, my background is in journalism, right right, and that probably is one of my strongest skill sets. I really think of myself as a writer, but writing is actually it's not writing in a traditional way is not how I make my money, but it's still central or foundational to the way I do my business. I used to think that I wanted to write for all of these large. You know I want to write for the new york times mm-hmm. and um or write for you know other publications that you see, and everyone knows and now we're seeing the gig economy has how how it's come for writing, which used to be seen as very like at least writing for those kind of places used to be seen as very secure
0: mm-hmm.
2: and now so many of those people who write for those publications are actually freelancers, mm-hmm. but they're running after. Jobs that pay a hundred dollars, two hundred, three hundred dollars, or maybe five hundred here and there, and are not able to really make a living.
1: No, and it's an, and it's intense work. It's like you're pay, getting paid five hundred dollars per piece for like a consumer piece that requires you know a ton of emotional labor and research and time. It's very different than me getting paid you know because I, I'm a writer. Um, but for I'm a brand writer for businesses, it's very different than me getting paid $500 for a blog post. It takes me like two hours in the morning and, you know, I go about my day. Like that's not the same. It's not the same thing over time. Um, I, I feel like and writing is such a diverse skill that I really think there's, there's, it, there's tons more opportunity out there, but it's in a different place now.
2: It is. I, I don't think, I, I think that there's an underestimation of like the things that I learned, uh, understanding your audience, right? How to communicate. Right complicated idea in a clear, concise way, how to make it engaging, how to be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, all those skills actually can make you a really great business owner. Yeah. And actually blogs are an uh, area that I, and writing is an area that I still make really good money in, but it's just in a different way. Right, uh, And I actually like being a blog editor um, for some uh, you know, some contracts that I have, some clients that are just doing some really interesting work and it feels overwhelming for them to handle their blog. And I get to be an editor for it and I get to have other people write. um, And I get to really still fulfill that writer, editor um, niche that I really love while still being in a place that makes good money. And that still, it doesn't take that much energy.
1: Right. And then you don't have to worry about, you know, necessarily as much about trying to do all your work in that space and make a full-time income in that space.
2: No, I I think that you should diversify diversify that diversify. Yeah. I do I do I'm a I do facilitating online, I do coaching, I um edit blogs, I do some cool stuff like um facilitate writers rooms uh, for especially for black writers and editors. Um I do uh, just various, I don't know, there's just so, my! when I look down at my contracts, I'm like, oh, I teach, I have such a diverse portfolio of contracts, and no matter what happens, I feel secure um, in my work.
1: Okay, Mm -hmm. I want to I want to clarify something because I have a feeling what you have going on is kind of what I have going on, and I think it's something that people get confused about. So you have a a broad diversity of contracts, which is, which is, or and you're using a you know a large range of skill sets. Are they generally in the same space as far as like topic and did? Yes. Yeah, that okay yeah so you see what i'm getting at because i feel like a lo- not i feel like i know this from just being on twitter but a lot of people step into freelancing and they say they would say what you like what you just said okay i want to be like um you know i want to facilitate and i want to write and i want to edit but you didn't step into it like that you for that's what i'm understanding is that you mm-hmm. stepped into the space and you had your expertise and you built relationships and then branched out from there
2: yes yes everything is underlined by my area and my expertise and it's all social movements right so people who care about social change so whether it's like network facilitating or it's about blogs or it's about story circles or it's about um helping create um helping teach and create products all of that are folks organizations or networks that care about social justice issues right and that's my expertise and that's really why they're hiring me
1: right because I like I if I honestly if I sat down and told you what I do it's like I'm a writer I do some, for some reason people have me do web design I they shouldn't trust me to but they want me to um, I'm doing case studies and blogs and consulting but they're all very specific to like my professional background in healthcare. It wasn't something that I stepped into with all those different skill sets. I established myself as an expert and really specialized in the space. And from there, I have you know a broad range of skills that I can bring to help clients get into go, you know, achieve specific goals.
2: Yeah, I think that. Thank you for articulating that because what I would advice I would give is to um, really understand what what your area is and what you bring to the table, and then people will start offering you interesting and maybe new way new mm-hmm. ways to be in that work and you could try it out and if you like it keep doing more of it if you don't like to keep moving on um but you don't want to be so scattered um that no one feels like your authority
1: on something yeah and it's hard for them to trust you because they don't really know what you what you do
2: well i've talked to people and i'm trying to help them plug into some of the work that i do and they just sound confused they sound um like they didn't really don't have they're not rooted um
1: right that's a, good, that's a nice way to put it
2: yeah they're not rooted and so it makes me feel like maybe i can't trust them to execute um or they're not you know that they don't have the depth um, right need um, and so you want to be clear about what you bring to the table and what your skill sets are
1: It's kind of like that whole specialized generalist thing that, you know, the conversation that people say, that's what's important now. It's not, you need to be a generalist, but, you know, within your field, it's in a very specialized field. Yes. Right. So what did you do? You don't have to give away exactly like who you work with, but when you say that you, you know, deliberately looked for where that intersection was, what were you keeping an eye out for, especially in the not-for-profit space? Because I feel like that's, that's, it's a, it's a popular space, but people have a hard time navigating it with, you know, earning, optimizing their earning in mind.
2: Oh, it's a whole mess. It's a whole mess <laughs> so honest about it. It's actually, Unfortunately, whether it's grassroots or huge national nonprofit organizations, they actually often are the places where there's the most exploitation. Yes. And including places that are about black folks for black folks or about uh, uh, poor folks. Mm -hmm. They'll be fighting, they'll hire you to work on workers' rights while violating your rights as a worker. Mm -hmm. So, just, you know, I just want to put people on, especially if there's some young folks who haven't experienced that yet i hope you don't and maybe this will help but for me it was about where are the my question was really like where are the spaces in which people are actually embodying and practicing the values that they're trying to set forth or things that they're trying to push um and number one key number one two and three for the way the place of how i got to where i got was about relationships Mm-hmm. And I think that's how I think about it. I know you call it marketing and I call it relationships. Um, but when I say right, I'm right. a consultant, it's really I'm a relationship consultant. This is about how do we work together, whether we're trying to fight for good wages and health care, or it's about how do I find my next contract? It's really about the quality of relationships that you have with people. And so I was reaching out um, to folks and letting them know that, you know, um, actually the first Consulting contract I got was someone reached out to me. So often you don't even realize Who's in your networks? um, And what they need and you showing up authentically who you are There will be some times that people um, See that and reach out but so the first time was someone reaching out to me But because of the way I I did my work They reached out for another contract and each contract and I was still in grad school each contract allowed me to build relationships with other people, and then they—I—I I was collaborating with them, and then they were asking me to work on another contract with them. And so each contract was kind of like a snowball effect, um, and it just grew and grew and grew um, that way.
1: Yeah, I—I I, I, and these are what I am hearing is also that you are not, and I think that's kind of, these two things kind of tie in. These are not. High, high profile or publicly you're not getting a lot of like a lot of you don't have the bylines that you know you might have been aiming for in journalism people absolutely. like the general public is not going to know that you're doing this work
2: absolutely not and it's such a lovely life this way <laughs> <laughs> the, the big names often don't pay well I used to actually yeah. work at the biggest name organizations that everyone knows to so be I'm so impressed with but I was not impressed with that check I got every two weeks so there we you go it. Um, or nor how was I treated every day. Um, these are not places that a lot of people know. Most of my people, most even my family doesn't understand what I do. Um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's really important is that I was doing a certain quality of work. And as I was doing that work, I was thinking about what you call marketing. About building the relationships. About learning new skills. About stretching in each contract. So yeah. not only did I get that check from that contract, I also got some new skills. Yeah. And when I also graduated, I wanted to go from part-time to more full-time. What I did was reach out to some of the folks that I had met. Maybe I hadn't worked with them just yet. And I was like, hey, I am, I'm ready now to go more full-time. Is there, can you please keep me in mind for any contracts that are coming? And that's how I got my biggest contract, which this one contract, which is about five, 10 hours a week pays me more than I was working full time in my last employee that, job.
1: That little outreach that you did is so powerful. Just letting, you know, just letting someone you have a relationship or who you're already working with know that I'm available to do more and I'm interested in doing more. That it, it, go, it goes so far. There's, there's so many times where I've just, you know, reached out to an existing client and just said, Hey, you know, I'm available for ABC or I'm thinking about ABC and they're willing to have that conversation.
2: Yes. And then also be open to having conversations that may not exactly align with what you're thinking about, but if they're, right. if they're looking for someone, just be open to talking. You, now you've got 30 to a, minutes to an hour in front of someone who does the hiring and they get to know you. And even if it's not the job that you wanted, you can say no. And right. they have you in mind um, for other things.
1: Yes, and that that that's it. When you when you framing it as relationship building is exactly it because, you know, every interaction you have is not going to lead to work the next day. Like that's what like Upwork is for, but the long term connections that you build that's what builds sustainability across time.
2: It is, and I was doing this without. To me, so second nature for right me because relationships matter because even without the money relationships are what's sustaining. right being um and it was about having conversations that make my eyes light up and things i'm really interested in and i want to work on and so at one point actually at this whole point i'm i have the good problem of having too many offers and me having to turn them down beautiful it's constantly marketing essentially I'm constantly, and then you don't say no forever. You say, can we touch base, you know, in, in the fall? Yeah. I right now and beyond, I don't have capacity. People respect that. And I think sometimes people are afraid of saying no. It's better to say no, not right now.
1: Exactly.
2: And instead of saying yes and not doing a great job at it.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Because sometimes all you have is your reputation. And so there and- are people I've worked with that did, that acted in ways that they shouldn't have or did quality of work that they didn't, they shouldn't have. And um, I'm never going to work with them again. And I think like now that I'm in a position to be helping hire and things like I'm not working with those people again.
1: Nope. I've done the same thing recently, two people that I've worked with and I've had to decide I can't work with them anymore just because they weren't able to say, I can't handle this right now or this is or isn't something I can do or it's not something I do well. And the thing is, I feel like most people I feel like a lot of people think that it's going to be a bad thing if they say no, but you know it's not people understand if you're busy, I, people don't give clients enough I, I don't think they give people enough you know credit where they'll they're, they're honestly most are understanding about that kind of thing because they have the same issues.
2: Yeah, and I say this as someone who is terrified to say no who yeah. had, who for a year and a half carried a book about boundaries in my purse. <laughs> it's a total foreign concept for me. like how do I say? I cannot do this. I don't have the capacity or I don't know how to do this. Someone else might be better. Um, how do you say that? And it was really a question of self-worth. It was a question of feeling of scarcity. This idea that like, if I say no, there's never going to be anything else coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I switched to an idea of like abundance and really thinking, um, just because I say no now doesn't mean that I won't get it later.
1: Um, it, yeah, elaps- like it doesn't shut the entire world down to you just because you say no to one project.
2: No. And you want to be saying no. If you're not saying no, you have an issue. Yep. It means either that you don't have enough marketing happening or clients coming to you, right. I demand. Mm-hmm. Um, or it means that you are not balancing your capacity in an appropriate way. Right. That's sustainable. And so either way you're hurting your long-term gains.
1: Yes. All right. Let's, let's talk about just, just some general, general lessons and things you've learned and experienced. What's, what's the biggest challenge you say you faced across your freelance career so far?
0: Hmm. I would say
2: that, that really that question of like how to say no. Hmm. That. Yeah. <laughs> saying I have, I'm overwhelmed because again, I started also, um, Part time because I was full time in grad school right. along with like doing chaplaincy training. So I was also working as a chaplain, and then I was consulting. And I really was like coming from a place in which I've never been paid what I was supposed to be paid. And off the bat, I started getting paid seventy five an hour. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, oh my god, this is the biggest <laughs> life, you know? Because I think that like nonprofit workers, you're really getting twenty something dollars an
1: hour. Gosh,
2: that's painful, right? Yeah. And so. 75 an hour for work that felt less exhausting was just and to say so how do you say no how do I right and so learning one that I could say no that also it was really an issue of good ethics and capacity management to say no um, and that people won't like leave me and abandon me yeah um, you know there's I would say that often we don't realize how much of our personal issues come into our work. And so, oh yeah, session might be a really good business
1: investment. No, is there and they're actually therapists who deal specifically with entrepreneurs. I mean, for that reason, that business is intensely personal. You learn things about yourself, especially working for yourself, that you probably didn't know before. I, I, like, and personally, I've had to prioritize my mental health more now, even though it is, you know, I'm in a healthier place as far as work is concerned. I've still had to prioritize it more because it impacts what I'm doing more.
2: Yes. I had so many conversations with my therapist about it. And I, I think anyone would describe me and I would have described myself as a very confident person, but just because you're a confident person, you're successful, et cetera, et cetera, does not mean that there's not certain wounds or certain core beliefs that you have about yourself that originated when you were younger Mm -hmm. um, or from your employment history. And so it was really important for me to do that therapy work um in order to kind of keep going and also i work with extraordinary people and i work with some good like i did not have a good history of working with white folks that was Mm -hmm. one of my i was like i want to get out so i don't have to ever deal with this kind of racism is to be able to work with people who are also white black whatever but like i i work with actually much more diverse um coalition of folks than i did before but i get to choose who I work with. Um, and if it's not a good experience, I get to leave. That has yes. been amazing. That, what kind of power
1: that is. Oh, yeah. Like, I know for me, one microaggression, I'm out. Like, there's no reason for me to stay around. And I say that, and I've probably experienced it, experienced maybe one in six years of freelancing versus like, you know, daily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, but it's still amazing to be able to say, I am not going to deal with this.
2: Yeah. I had a job job where I dealt with, <laughs> I dealt with um, such overt sexism. Yes. It was unfortunate because it was from black men. And I really thought like, Oh, we're, you know, but it was such overt sexism. Right, I was like, absolutely not. And I got to leave. And then, you know, when they, they reached out again about working, with me, I was like, no, no, they know. Um, and that's really important. But learning how to say no was my biggest learning curve and it's also my most important
1: one. Definitely. What would you um, want other freelancers to know either about your field specifically or about lifestyle design, anything in those lines?
2: I am living an extraordinary life that is I think available to a lot more people than they realize that you get to design your own life. And again, it does not have to be a life in which work comes first. Um, And having control over that work allows you to be so full um, and healthy and happier everywhere else. And so I would say I made some key decisions earlier in my life, and I think it's not too late for folks But I just made some key decisions that made people look at me weird um, (laughs) that were outside of the norms, right? That allowed me to have the kind of flexibility that I have in my life now. And so it's really okay if no one in your family understands. It's really okay if the professional circles are looking at you weird. It's okay to take a step down in terms of social capital and prestige in order to take a step up in terms of quality of life. And happiness and money oh, that's a quote right i do not have a prestigious um i do not have what people consider a prestigious career um like i did before but when i did have had a so-called prestigious career and i was in washington dc and my mom used to tell people i worked for obama which i did not but I, <laughs> 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 you know you know you know, your know parents are oh no but, i know
1: i know exactly what you're talking about
2: when i had a prestigious career. I was miserable
1: Yeah,
2: and it was really prestigious really about how other people view it. Mm -hmm. And right now I have what internally feels like the most prestigious career. I get to do work that's ethical, that helps people that uh, supports me in a way of like abundance. Um, I get to say, you know what? I want to, you know, bake in the middle of the day at 12. (laughs) I will bake you know and I, I get to um see people and visit my grandma um, who lives back home um just make a a decision last minute decision to go and see her i get to like live a life in which i'm in the front seat and i think that for a lot of folks especially thinking about mental health yeah. this lack of control over our lives this feeling of being dominated by others and having to ask for permission um for things that really should be a, within workers' rights, in employment and outside of employment really takes a toll that we don't realize.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so often you can see me dancing in the middle of the day or <laughs> taking a nap with my cat or seeing you know going on walks with my friend who's my neighbor. I get to have a quality of life that exceeds um, my wildest imagination. And that's what matters. And that's what matters. Not what other people think
1: exactly and i
2: follow people thinking i make no money that's great yeah exactly.
1: that is actually a good thing that's a, that is an underrated that is something that's criminally underrated
2: especially black families you know everybody calling you <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you know i hope some folks don't listen to this but i just you know, it's a, it, you know it's okay it's really okay to to live your life on your terms yeah
1: I so mean. thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation.
2: Thank you, Megan. Thank you for this platform. I just want to shout out that you were the re- like a huge reason why I felt comfortable going to freelance, like reading your work um, and checking out your workbook. And it was really just every day reading your Twitter. <laughs> 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 it changed my mind, you know, it really changed my mind about what is possible. And it made me think about freelancing in a completely different way. So I really appreciate you and your work.
1: That does be awesome to hear. Thank you so much for letting me know. Interested in starting or improving your own freelance career? Whatever your skill, come by blackfreelance.com and sign up for the monthly newsletter to start sculpting your best freelance strategy.